Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. First of all, this is Ed Epley. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, this is version 2.0 of our navigating, managing, and leading in these uh, uh, turbulent times. Uh, we've got a slightly different panel today. Um, just a reminder, the purpose of today is to help you leave with a little bit more confidence and clarity about what you should be doing right now to manage uh, your business and, and help your people um, be able to, um, one, do their jobs as well as uh, keep your business viable in what can be some really, really tough times. Um, it, I think we've got everybody muted except the panelists. Uh, if for any reason we call out to you, uh, Sean Hedinger, who's uh, producing from Albuquerque, New Mexico, will help us with that. But um, uh, our panel today, we have Scott McComb again, CEO of Heartland Bank. Uh, Scott, you can wave. Uh, he did a great job in helping us understand both SBA and financial things last week. We got Janet Gracer from out in uh, San Jose, Car uh, California, in, in that area, the Bay Area. Uh, she's going to be back to talk about PR and communications. We've got Holly Turner. She's the CFO for Stampede Consulting, and she's a former assistant administrator for the SBA, and um, she brings uh, legislative and a, a background on the SBA that should be uh, able to add to what Scott talks about. And then we've got Margaret Soda. Uh, she's up in Wisconsin today. She's the HD of HR for, uh, and labor relations for PSA Airlines, and she's a friend and client. So she's living real time some of the challenges that everybody uh, is, is faced with and dealing with a, a staff. Uh, uh, in, and she's got a number of locations that she has to deal with. So we're interested to hear from her. Uh, I'll be here to talk a little bit more about management and leadership and what I've been talking or hearing, uh, I should say, from my clients. So uh, first half, again, we'll, we'll re recap what each of us is experiencing and hearing from our clients. Um, and then we'll turn it over to chat questions from, um, from the audience. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some spurred based just upon what, what they share. So uh, I think I've covered everything. Uh, Joel Kessel is in the background to receive your chat questions, and he's going to be feeding them to me. Um, Joel, have I forgotten anything? Thumbs up. We're good to go. Good to go. All right. Great. Thank you. Scott, uh, you got your five minutes. Talk to us. All right. Good deal. I probably won't need five minutes. Welcome, everybody. Uh, last week, we talked about, you know, what's coming down the pike and the CARES Act and such and so forth. Um, obviously, that past Friday uh, got signed into law. Um, the, the lenders and the banks have been waiting uh, patiently for that uh, guidance. The guidance came down. Uh, this past Tuesday, and since Tuesday, we've been trying to ask for further guidance because uh, the uh, the rules that came out of Treasury and the SBA uh, were uh, rather vague. There's, uh, as you can probably imagine, uh, behind the scenes in the bank, there's a lot of things that have to happen. There's a, a lot of rules associated with that, and, and, and the banks, with the way this is uh, working, is the money is coming from banks, uh, you know, to uh, and guaranteed by the SBA. So the banks are actually out the out their money, out their capital, um, even though they don't uh, have to use that. It's a zero risk risk weighting as far as their capital allocation. So it's not going to deplete their capital, but still cash on their balance sheet that they're going to put out on the street. And they need to know specifics about how that's going to be paid back, when it's going to be paid back and such and so forth. So I'm sure everyone's probably already read a a short paper, you know, on uh, most of the parameters. We talked about that last week. Some of those changed from what we were expecting, and that's the other reason why we needed more clarification. Uh, so uh, what we're getting, biggest questions that we're getting from our clients uh, and across really the the uh, 
the stratosphere here is that, uh, you know, what do I do? Uh, what program is right for me? What qualifies? Um, that kind of thing. So um, we are we are working with our clients, and, we, we, and we're suggesting that other folks go to their primary financial institution. So uh, and and have that question. Now, there's going to be some fintechs jump in the mix. I know Goldman Sachs is planning on jumping in the mix and having a, a branded product. Uh, I know Cabbage is out there. There's all kinds of fintechs. If you can't get a response from your financial institution, you can jump through, uh, you know, go through those hoops. However, you're probably not going to get the same kind of advice you would from your your banker, okay, or your your financial uh, person. Other folks too. There's another thing called an agent. So an agent can help facilitate your decision and help you fill out and gather the necessary documentation. So the agent also gets paid. They're going to get paid by the bank. They get paid usually uh, like a certain percentage of the origination fee that the SBA is going to pay financial institutions. So we find uh, your accountant, if you have a CPA, um, those kind of people, some of them are acting as agents and can, and can help you facilitate that. And then they are subsequently making, uh, making arrangements with other financial institutions to get you taken care of. So um, def- there's, there's different provisions there, too. So not just the money out on the street, uh, but also the tax consequences. I saw a gentleman ask a question uh, about the taxes there. Um, you know, if, you're, if you don't need the money, um, then there's – but there are provisions in the CARES Act, uh, specific tax provisions. Now, I'm not allowed to give tax advice. That's a disclaimer. Okay, not allowed to give tax advice, but I can tell you that that there is an employee retention credit that you're you'll be able to use, uh, em, employer payroll tax payments that can be deferred, as well as uh, net operate net, net excuse me net operating loss uh, provisions now uh, that you'll be able to call back. Okay, so uh, in, in, from 18, 19, and 20, you can refile and take the losses now against past taxes that you paid. So. Um, so you want to make sure that you're you're uh, qualifying, you know, and, and, and you're and you're taking the time to figure out what the right strategy is for your particular company because uh, it, it really varies across the board. So besides that, we are seeing people trying to line up for their, um, you know, for their, uh, uh, you, you know, for their assistance. You may want to check with your financial institution to see if they're even going to participate in the program because of the certain parameters. Some are not. So smaller institutions that are not SBA preferred. Are doing a referral model, so I would definitely be calling and finding out, you know, whether that's the right place for you to go to begin with, and what resources they're going to have to help you. Okay, thank you, Scott. Um, Holly, uh, I, I was going to have uh, Janet go next, but given uh, uh, your connection to the SBA, and and uh, I, I just think, why don't we just have you go next, if you don't mind, Janet? I'm going to have Holly follow up, uh, and you can talk a little bit about what you're hearing and seeing since it connects to what Scott's talking about. You're muted, Holly. So I have been uh, talking to the SBA uh, and the Treasury officials every day over the past few weeks. Um, I have great relationships with them. They are good people. I just want to say that, but they are overwhelmed. So uh, this is—they've never dealt with anything like this before. They, they've the disaster loan side. I've been through disasters while I was at SBA. It is very stressful on the system. Uh, when we declared a nationwide disaster, it just threw them into a tailspin. So they're trying to process disaster loans internally. They've streamlined that process. They've removed a lot of the red tape. So if, if someone is looking at a disaster loan, and I do get a lot of questions like this, uh, Scott mentioned, you know, there are t- basically two types of loans that small business owners are looking at. 
So SBA is processing those disaster loans. They've made it a lot easier now, but it could take a long time to get your money. During hurricanes, it sometimes takes people five months to get their money. And usually those are for physical repairs to damaged buildings or damaged equipment. They rarely do economic injury loans. It's just very hard for them to evaluate what the injury is. So I would anticipate that it's going to take them a long time to process those. There is an option to get a $10,000 advance on that disaster loan. So if you go online and apply, you can get an an advance. You put your bank information in there and they'll deposit it. They're saying within three days. So that is an option out there. If you decide not to move forward with a loan, you get to keep the $10,000. It converts to a grant. If you move forward with a loan, which could be months down the road, you'll have lots of paperwork to sign, more uh, documents to produce. uh, Then that part, that $10,000 would be a forgivable part of your loan. So it's $10,000 that's available. Um, On the 7A side, so basically if any of you have ever applied for a 7A SBA loan through your Uh, accredited lender, your bank. This is similar to that, but it's totally different. Um, Essentially, the Hill, uh, our elected officials on the Hill just needed some sort of a a vessel to be able to get this money out to small business owners. And since the 7A program was already in place, they decided to use that, uh, but they they just stripped all of the requirements out of it. So no collateral, no personal guarantee, the, the, a small business owner is not paying any fees at all. The bank is being paid directly by the federal government. I mean, the form is literally two pages long to apply for this loan. So, um, but with, which is great that they've done this, um, and, and very smart, but they went really fast and there are still some outstanding questions out there. So every day we're getting more guidance from treasury and more guidance from SBA. Um, we, we have more on how to get the loan. Um, I think there, there are a lot of questions out there about how to get the loan forgiven. What exactly does that formula look like? What do I have to show? Um, I've got, you know, I'm happy to share what I do know about that, but I, I think we're waiting for Treasury to, to give us more. And I keep mentioning Treasury because the SBA has been without an administrator for a long time now. They just got a new administrator. They don't have a general counsel they're short-staffed right now. They had a lot of turnover in that agency recently. And so Treasury's really taking the lead on this and, and passing everything off to SBA. So that's really kind of a behind the scenes. I know there are lots of questions out there, and I'm, I'm happy to answer those as we get down the road. No, that's that's great. And uh, Joel, if, if uh, people don't have their chat open, uh, Joel is adding uh, information about all of our panelists as they speak and, and links to be able to get to them uh, and their information. So if you need more and you want to reach out to any of our, our panelists directly, that's, this is how you can do that. Thank you, uh, Holly. I'm glad you're here. Janet, good morning. Good morning. So from a communication standpoint, my clients are still... Um, And I think many organizations and businesses are still, you know, on the front lines with such rapidly evolving information. Things are changing um, day to day and week to week. I mean, just recently we've had extensions of the shelter in place um, orders um, different across states. Um, The implications of those are different for individuals, for businesses, We've had school closures extend here in California. The governor mandated all schools should be closed for the remainder of the school year. We tend to be ahead of the curve on some of these decisions. So I expect that this is going to trickle out. So all of these types of 
um, more government-driven decisions are having a direct effect on um, businesses, their employees, their customers, um, how they're doing business, how they're managing um, the impact on their professional, personal, financial lives. So my clients are saying to me, how do we best communicate? What do we best communicate? When do we best communicate across the board still? So what I what I have now continued to say, but have evolved a little bit is number one, we still need to stick to the facts. So this is your credibility is on the line. Stay away from rumors, stay away from um, hearsay and make sure that you're telling your people and your customers or whoever it is what you do know. And um, if you can talk about what you don't know and what you're doing to close that gap, it's still a good idea. Um, share for employees. It's important at this time, now that we know this is going to continue to go on for quite some time, you really need to share your company goals for navigating through this together so that people can stay focused on what's most important. What can they continue to do in this remote dispersed virtual workforce that we have today? So keep people aligned and focused on the same important business goals. That should be an important part of your communications. But the last thing and probably the most important thing that's really stood out to me with my clients, but other leaders who are doing this well is communicating with empathy and vulnerability. Regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, many people have noticed Governor Cuomo doing a pretty exceptional job on this front. And he's getting a lot of attention for sticking to the facts, but also being very personal in his approach. That authenticity um, is winning him a lot of points and a lot of audience eyes and ears because he's communicating in a way that's just, this is personal to everybody on some level. And he's pulling that out in his own communications. He's made this very personal to him, um, talks about his the impact this is having on him personally. And he does it still with great strength, but in a way that's extremely relatable. So when people are out there talking to their customers, employees, if they can bring this sense of um, empathy and vulnerability to their communications along with the facts, they're going to be perceived um, in the best possible way. So I'd really advise to work that into your style and to your approach if you can. If, if uh, Janet, if I'm the formal leader of the business and that's just not who I am, but there is somebody on my executive team who has the capacity to do that intuitively, is it okay for me to have them share the platform for that leading that communication because they're, they're clearly better at it than am I? Yes, I think what I would say in that situation, not to take away from your the you know main executive's leadership role, right. is to do an approach where the leader is giving seen more giving like the authority you know the authority on the facts and the information and like gener- you know shepherding the business forward and have the other person come in to put it more into that personal context and okay. so that it's there's a role for both to play. There's also more of the you know, the person that's in front and then the person that's behind the scenes dealing with all of the teams and individuals. Okay. I, I, so it's permissible is what you're saying. It would yeah. be if, if maybe not ideal, but it can, it can, it can serve the purpose. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Welcome. Welcome Margaret Soda. Uh, let's hear how things are going for you and PSA airlines and, and, uh, and your 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 headquarters are in Dayton, but you're working out of Wisconsin right now, correct? I am. We're all kind of doing a remote work, and I'm one of those who commute into 
uh, work every week. So um, kind of a perk we get with the airline at the at the <laughs> when, when we're operating uh, well. Um, so you know, I, I guess a lot of our focus has been kind of um, around the communications piece. Um, but we learned pretty quickly we were tackling this from a safety perspective and focusing on team members and also trying to keep abreast of what's going on. Are we going to be shut down as an airline? Are they going to keep us running? Um, how do things get impacted? But um, maybe I'll just share a couple of the things that we've been doing and where we shifted along the way. Hey, so, Margaret, Margaret, before we continue, just for everybody's benefit, PSA is a closely held uh, regional carrier of American Airlines, correct? Yes. Okay, yes. so that they're so, an entity underneath American Airlines. Go ahead. Yeah, so we're owned by American. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the few things we were doing is, like I said, initially, it was just a safety focus. And we realized we needed to come together as an executive team every single day from a staffing perspective. So rather than having staff every week, we have staff every day. And then we still have our COVID-19 updates at the end of every day. We also have twice a week our director's updates, and we include our managers once a week in those types of communications. A lot of that is just understanding the regulations, what's changed. Employees have information coming to them um, on the news every single day, right, <laughs> and updates. And when you get a shelter-in-place order and you have to very quickly be able to communicate to team members, um, are you an essential business? What does that mean for you to be going to work, and is it safe? We also um, very quickly started having – we have four different labor groups – our crew, um, which would be considered our pilots and flight attendants, those unions were pretty quick active, um, sending us notices of what they expected us to do. So we really had to engage and say, here is what we're doing. Here's what we're willing to do. And we couldn't just stay on a decision. Um, so if we made a decision, for example, not to let team members wear gloves, within a week or two, we've moved off of that and said, you can wear gloves. Um, and we have to take a lot of that guidance from American Airlines as well. Um, it's stay connected with that. Um, it's the temperature checks. Um, the FAA also uh, provides what they call the safety updates. We get safe codes and um, their guidance on what we should be doing for our crew. So it gives us guidance on if they're in hotels. So, you know, when um, crew members are overnighting, where are they overnighting? How do they get access to food? Restaurants are shut down. They only have so much money available to them. They have their per diems. Now they have delivery fees and charges. They're really being hit, and, and we're having to deal with these types of questions on a daily basis. Wow. The other piece wow. of it is we have our OCC, so our central operating center is where we have, you can imagine, um, a room that's just the heart of the airline where we dispatch flights. We know where all of our crew are, what's happening um, our maintenance control, where our aircraft, what aircraft need, what maintenance. And we keep all these key people together. And we've had to make tough decisions as we've had team members get sick or get quarantined. Um, and we have a hot site where if we were to have a disaster, we'd go there. But we've had to open that so that we could make sure we had time to clean facilities um, and, and um, make tough decisions to allow team members to work from home that otherwise wouldn't. Uh, we, and we've continued to extend that and get more and more flexible with that. We've worked to develop training for leaders on, hey, you have team members working from home now. What does that mean? 
And now that we've extended our work from home guidelines to the end of the month, we're focused on how do we now engage with each of the team members who are trying to do their job from home as well. What percent of your flights are operating compared to normal right now? Oh, <laughs> about 35%. Yeah. Um, so we typically had eight to 900 departures a day. Our April schedule came in with about 50% cuts in it, but we've been having to cancel flights on top of that. Um, when this first started, we could not figure out, uh, the focus was on fixing April and May and getting the best schedules out um, for our crew members to bid. So March, people would see March schedules, aircraft flew. You'd fly, I'd be flying and you'd have five or six other people with you because as an organization, we're, we're focused on fixing what is May going to look like, what is April going to look like. Um, our April schedule is focused at, um, like I said, 50% and we're canceling an additional two to 300 flights a day. And then May was built at 35%. Okay. And we hope June and July goes up. Um, but it, it's all about how do you communicate that to team members? We have different aircraft type. You know, they see rumors. They see us on the aircraft. They, you know, <laughs> and every work group's different. So yeah. um, staying connected with those leaders. And even we've learned we can update directors. We can update managers. But sometimes supervisors just don't know how to handle when an employee says, I'm sick. Hey, can I send them home? We now have to do temperature. We do temperature checks for every employee when they come in to work and we have them throughout the day if they're not feeling well. Um, and we send you home if you do have a temperature. So how many, how many, uh, roughly how many employees have you had uh, with the virus that you know of? Um, well, we have had about a few hundred and fifty people ask for medical leave. Of that, about 100 have received S and we're waiting results. We have only had about 10 test positive. Okay. So most results are still pending. This has come pretty quick. So okay. we also had to really look at um, expanding. You know, we had a pandemic leave pay. So very, we made the decision relatively quickly that we would pay team members and keep them whole because we didn't want them coming into work uh, and getting their, their coworkers sick, especially in, in a OCC kind of dispatch operation. Um, but it only covered if they were ill. So then we started to expand that to say, okay, now if your family's ill, we don't want you coming to work, right? Because they may be asymptomatic, but we want right. them quarantined. So then it turned into sort of this quarantine pay. Um, and then we only had available for like, if you had daycare issues, you know, things like that, school issues, it was unpaid leave. So we just launched this morning um, paid leave programs because our team members, um, the CARES Act was a big thing for us to understand how, how is that going to impact us from um, can we furlough, can we not furlough, can we talk about furlough, do we keep our team members whole, but when you're still only running 20% of your operation, um, and yes, you're getting some, some money from the government, but you're not allowed to furlough anybody, how do you then have measures to help control costs? So on the flip side of it, we're, we're having to deal with almost as though you're in bankruptcy mode of conserving cash, um, reducing spend, um, going back to vendors about costs, um, uh, delaying projects. We've delayed almost the majority of our programs. Um, uh, we've stopped recruiting. We've sent team members and training. We've decided to even end training, even though we're going to pay people their training pay, just so we don't have the hotel and food costs. Um, okay. So we, we've had just 
quick decisions every single day happening. Yeah, and pretty draconian, relatively speaking, just to make sure you can serve cash, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, and when this started, we started to reflect in, you know, in our industry, we can relate back to the 9-11. And uh, I would say within a week, it was, this is way worse. And, you know, and and that first feeling of that, like, how do you survive this? How do you make sure you're doing the right things for your employees, but yet you're making sure you're coming out of this? So one of the things I, I mean, I think very quickly, you helped us refocus on this idea of, well, what is our thematic goal, right? What are we trying to do? Um, you know, and it, and it's not just about surviving, it's about coming out of this stronger too. So Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, uh, just real quickly, uh, thematically, what I've been hearing from clients is more about, um, okay, this is, this is significant. This is not uh, a little blip in the road. This is going to be big for our organization in some way, shape, or form, and, and still in some we're not entirely sure of. So uh, the question that it's, it hasn't been verbalized exactly this, but, but uh, the, the sentiment that I'm hearing is, how do I keep people motivated and focused when we probably still have the worst yet to come? Um, how do, how do we, how do we keep people inspired and, and keep the troops rallied, um, when in fact, um, the, the, the storm has not yet, the, the hurricane eye has not yet hit landfall and we know there's going to be more damage. So I don't, I, you know, I don't have a great answer for that other than the thinking again in the context of, of how, what would constitute a win in the next week for your organization? If you had to say it's it's Thursday, April second. So if we fast forward to April the ninth, what would it what would a win look like for us as an organization between now and then? And and use that as a way to help people think about um, since it's not business as normal. Here's a way we can at least rally around. We all agree that if we can make this happen in the next uh, five business days, then we're ahead of where we are today. Um, so that that would be the thinking that I would offer up to uh, the audience so far, based upon what I'm hearing thematically from my audience. Uh, Joel, um, you've you've asked for questions. Are, are there any that I need to look at right now, or do I do I need to refer to my list, Joel? I'm just looking for you. Go to my list or not? Are you typing me? One? Yeah, go ahead and uh, refer to your list right now. Okay. Um, uh, one one that I was wondering about is, um, uh, and I don't know who's going to answer this, if, if any or all of our panel wants to weigh in on this. Is it better for everybody to take a pay cut and retain everybody, or should we furlough or fire several marginal performers right now and maintain wages? Um, you got some, you got some, you got some people that are, are definitely not, you know, you probably wouldn't hire them again, but they haven't done anything bad enough to get, get laid off, get fired. But, but this is an opportunity right now where you got to make a choice between them. Am I going to keep everybody whole or am I going to, uh, and, but to do that, I got to do a pay cut, uh, for everybody. What does anybody have any feelings about what they would do in that situation? And I'll weigh in on this. Um, Please. you know, we've we've seen I counsel some some larger organizations on this and, and they're dealing with this right now. And they have been through this before. They've been around for a long time. And they saw that back during the, the last recession that we had when they just did it across the board, 20 percent pay cut. At first, it was a, a bonding kind of team like we're in the bunker together and it, it really kind of bonded everyone together. But pretty soon, uh, after after a few weeks of that, it, there, some resentment started to grow uh, amongst their higher performers and people who really 
give their blood, sweat, and tears to the organization. They became resentful that the ones, and it's very obvious to our teams who who's really pulling their weight and who's not, and it they became resentful later on. So anyway, that was just some interesting insight. They were having that discussion again for this situation. What did they do? They did, they opted against the twenty percent pay cut this time, and they let people go. So they 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 isolated in certain individuals that were marginal and yeah. said, "Look, uh, the, sorry, you have to go," but that's the way they uh, allow them to stay more financially viable at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Hey, um, uh, there's a question for Scott. Is is there uh, a deduction for the payroll taxes that was floated at one point? Do we know? And maybe Holly, you know as well, Scott, Holly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there is um, uh, there is a deduction for certain payroll taxes, but that's a year in that's on your tax return later on, you know. So I don't think uh, right now, and the, of course everybody's in a different state, right? So certain certain states could have uh, sales tax, other kinds of taxes that are that they're waiving. Uh, I know in Ohio they're not waiving any of that just yet, um, but uh, that would be a year end thing. And yes, you need to consult your tax advisor, um, you know, on what those uh, deductions would be. And you can't take those if you if you did a if you did a, a um, payroll protection program though loan or grant you know, loan and then it was forgiven you can't take that deduction. Holly, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I do think that. Um, well, first of all, on the on the paycheck protection plan um, right now, guidance we're getting from Treasury is that if that loan is forgiven, all, either at all or, or part of it, whatever portion is forgiven is not going to be considered income. So it will not be taxed. So that's something for everyone to know. We are seeing the delay in payroll taxes. Uh, but if you're using a PEO um, or some other payroll processing firm, a lot of those firms are not letting you do that because they don't want to try and track down that money from you right. uh, later on in the year. So they're they're making you pay that as you process payroll. Um, but we will see, we are working on another stimulus bill now. The president is very much wants either a payroll deduction or a payroll elimination. The tax portion, the federal portion, um, either a limited, eliminated, cut in half, reduced significantly for a short period of time. He's not been able to get that so far, but I, I would think they're going to push for that again in the next bill that's going to be coming out. Um, uh, one of the things, uh, Paul, uh, Panton, who's down in Trinidad and uh, a friend and a client, uh, he wrote, and I, I saw to everybody that a pay cut may make employees choose employee benefits and unemployment benefits over the job. And I have a number of, of clients who, uh, have expressed, you know, you know, somebody would actually be better off financially to take the unemployment rather than work. And so that is, that is a factor. We have to think about that. Uh, question right now. Um, uh, how about communicating upward? Uh, and Dan Wiley uh, sent this. So what are you communicating to your board investors? Uh, how frequently should you be communicating uh, to other stakeholders who may not in the business day to day? That's a I hadn't thought about that. That that probably is if you got private equity involved. I wonder how often they want communication. <laughs> Janet, do you have any thoughts about that? You know, I think you're right. I mean, a lot of my, uh, you know, for the more of the small to mid-sized companies that I've been working with, their board and their investors are on a lot of different boards. And so I don't, I think that it has to really be tailored based on where the business is at and how frequently you have um, updates that are meaningful to the business. I know, and what I read in the news, especially in like the biotech space, you have investors that are heavily invested in one company coming in with some like extra parachute money 
to really shore up that particular investment, which means others that are raising for series, you know, C right now may not be getting the money they want. So they have to think about, you know, I'm probably not going to go and bug those investors so much and like keep it more right size for where you're at in those conversations for boards. I mean, I think, Again, it probably depends on the size of the company and the stability of the company and the type of um, leadership and relationship they have. But I do think frequent um, updates and communication are going to be needed. Margaret, how has how the communication to Dallas changed for you? Because uh, uh, there was regular communication with Dallas all the time anyways. But has it gotten more frequent or is it pretty much the same cadence? No, it's it's definitely more frequent. So, um, and we obviously get a lot more information requests. So there are daily updates, um, and I would say we're part of their executive meetings um, rather than once a week, twice a week. And then, um, you know, they they were driving um, a lot of the legislation around the the, the CARES Act as well. So, um, really feeding and understanding both ways what that what that was going to mean. Um, so that we didn't overstep on something that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of was also kind of important for that, that two-way. Okay. Um, uh, Holly and Scott, there was a question I floated out to you last night. I forget exactly what that was um, about the VC-backed business. Um, do you remember what the question was? Do either of you recall it? I, I do. I do because I teased Holly about it because I didn't know the answer. And I said, don't leave me in suspense till tomorrow. So I'll pass it to Holly and she can answer that question. Repeat the question for us, Holly, and then and then your yeah. thoughts. So in general, uh, the question was, and I think it was coming from uh, an Austin, Texas person. So I'm from Austin, so it was great to hear from somebody from home. But um, they were asking about companies that get uh, VC backing or have investor backing uh, at the start of their company or, or along the way. Yeah, and Chris Winslow, that's right. Okay, Chris, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there are, there are some rules at SBA that govern uh, it's it's all about the size. So you have to generally be a business of 500 employees or less, and they have affiliation rules. Uh, so if you have backing uh, owner, if you have a VC firm that has an ownership stake, then there will be sometimes where if the ownership is to a certain degree, it will trigger affiliation status, and you'll have to count all of the VC's employees and possibly all of the other entities that they've invested in as well and have ownership. So again, I these rules were written by people who have never had a private sector job in their entire life. And so they, they just, it just doesn't make sense to them. So I've worked through several of these when I was at SBA, just under normal circumstances, kind of walking the staff at SBA through how this works. And so they've actually recently changed those rules as of April 1st of last year, um, lessening the requirement. So they're really looking at a control issue. Now, does that VC firm have the control over the entity to make decisions. And it's and it's either, so is it a 50% ownership stake? Do they have control over board members? Things like that. It's a little confusing. I will say for this uh, particular situation, again, we're just using the 7A structure to be able to get the money out the door legally. They've waived a lot of the rules. And I the intent is that it does that that there should be no affiliation considered. That is the intent whether they can get the language tight enough to explain that and make everyone feel comfortable about that. Uh, you know, they're, they're just swamped right now, but the intent is that every small business should benefit from this, even okay. if they have some VC funding. Scott, anything to add? Nope. 
Okay. Um, uh, Joel uh, sends a question out from Bill McBrayer. Um, what are people hearing about paying hazard pay for essential workers? Um, uh, so they have to show up, maybe be in close proximity to others. Uh, has anybody uh, on our panel heard anything about what other companies are doing in that regard? We, we are seeing, uh, you know, uh, truckers, uh, people that are that are essential to the uh, the uh, supply chain for grocery stores, grocery store workers, um, those kind of folks are getting bonuses. Uh, so, you know, Kroger is doing that across the board for folks uh, because they are, you know, now it's not just I work at the store. It's I'm, I'm working 10 hours at the store and it's, you know, busy all 10 hours. It's, uh, you know, they're trying to take care of clients. Um, I know that the supply chain uh, uh, truckers um, and other kinds of folks, uh, also the manufacturing uh companies that are starting to change. So Ohio's put out a plea, Governor DeWine has put out a plea to manufacturers to sign up to make masks, make uh, gowns, make uh, other parts for respirators and then things of that nature. Those folks are all, uh, you know, now being funded by the federal government or the state government. And, uh, uh, and so they're, they're starting to enhance things that way for hazard pay and things of that nature. If you got to motivate people, if you can't motivate them just to do it because it's the right thing to do, then uh, that that helps as well, though, with, uh, you know, with uh, a little extra pay. Margaret, are you going to do anything at PSA? No, there, there really isn't anything. We do have critical pay, um, but that really results if we have a staffing problem um, or we're in a really major irregular operations, we can call critical. So if we need people to come in and we're not getting enough volunteers, we end up putting out where we could double or triple pay. Okay. For certain periods, yeah. Um, if anybody else has got any uh, uh, experience or has got specific strategies that they're doing in the audience, please please write them in your chat that you do. And if 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 they're too long to write, tell us, and we'll we'll still call on you. You can share with us if you want to if you want to do that. Um, question from Dan Wiley was about what do you got to what what are you doing if you've got an individual, a known employee with bad morale to keep them from infecting the rest of the team that's got good morale. Um, what, what's, what, what are you doing right now, if anything, to isolate those people who, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I think a question I would ask is, in my mind, is it probably makes a difference if their bad morale is, this is unusual, this is just right now isolated, it's not normal, versus if they normally have bad morale. I think I'd respond differently. I think if, if, if this is an isolated case, I'd really work hard to talk and understand. And, you know, this could be fear. This could be they've got real problems at home. Uh, there's there's There could be other factors. If they've genuinely had bad morale and this is just giving them an excuse to do that even more than often. I, I probably would take more of a, a tough line with them. What, what say the rest of you? Agreed. Uh, I'll, I'll chime in, Ed. <laughs> it's a, right. I agree. You know, I'm sure all of the companies on here, you have your set of core values. And I think doing an analysis of, hey, is this, is this a core value issue that really is in conflict with our company? Or, or is this fear? There is a lot of fear out there right now, and, and it can impact people differently. Um, but, but I also like to think that in, when times get tough, that people's true character, it, it really is revealed as well. So a little bit of conflicting insight there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you, you find out who you want in your foxhole in times like these, don't you? 
Uh, Margaret, Scott, uh, as employers of others, do you have any thoughts about that question about somebody with bad morale? No, I think you're spot on, Ed. And then, you know, I don't want to say we're all kind of keeping a, a checklist of how did you respond during this time? And, you know, for us, furloughs and things like that are kind of being punted to after September, but these behaviors are are noticed. And if it's impactful, and especially if they're a leader role, we, we would coach. And we've been really clear that you still have to abide by our values, our policies, our programs, and, and lead through this. So if there's a, a real issue, it still needs to be addressed. So. Scott, anything else? Yeah, you know, we're doing the we're doing the same thing. We would have one of our uh, people portfolio partners reach out uh, and have a conversation. You know, you have to be sensitive to what people are dealing with um, out there. So, it, regardless of whether it's it's you know. Uh, Bob is usually a stick in the mud, and now he's just being more of a stick in the mud. Unfortunately, you got to have a little bit of a reset here with the current situation and have that conversation again with Bob. And then, and then obviously, if the things continue, though, you know, we still got to run our businesses, you know, so you're going to have to make business decisions. If somebody is not, uh, you know, playing ball and all that, I mean, you have to handle that. So you have to say, look, Bob, you know, if you're going to be a stick in the mud, why don't you, you know, we don't need that right now. We need you to go this way. If there's no other ancillary circumstance, you know, or or, right. uh, or something else there, but you have to take the proper precautions. Otherwise, you set yourself up, you know, for uh, claims of not being sensitive during the time, uh, these trying times and all that, because we know people are having problems. So recommending folks go to counseling. You know, most of most of our health insurance plans have free counseling sessions, uh, any of that kind of stuff to help mitigate. But then if Bob's still being obstinate Bob, then Bob needs to be dealt with. Everybody's got a Bob. <laughs> uh, you know, I Everybody's add, got a Bob. Go ahead. <laughs> I would just add, you know, even um, team members who are upset, uh, we've seen a real spike in ethics points. So if you have like a hotline um, around either I didn't get to work from home when someone else did, and, you know, those are sort of anonymous, but we've had to deal with a lot more of that through this and a lot more specific to pandemic of, right. uh, Am I essential or, you know, I, okay. I didn't get the same accommodation as someone else. Yeah. I, I, uh, Paul in Trinidad also wrote, and, and I think this is right. There are also at the other end of the spectrum, people who are rising and, and not only rising to the occasion, excelling under these okay. circumstances. And so this is an opportunity right now to uh, look around that some, some people are demonstrating for you that they have a capacity to manage and lead at a level that probably we didn't, we, we either haven't permitted them to be able to manage and lead at that level, or we just didn't realize they had the capacity and they're showing it now. And, and uh, it, they need to know that you're recognizing, you're seeing them step up at a level that, that is really powerful. Um, and, and, and that you, you know, that they can continue once, once we get back to some level of normal. Um, Marty Grender asks what marketing message is appropriate now. Um, and, and so Janet, I'm kind of looking to you to, to start to lead on this and, and, and Scott, I'll come back to you. Cause I know you, you've always had a strong marketing and brand presence for, for the bank. So <clears throat> Janet, what's your thoughts about how much, if anything, should you, should you be promoting about your business? It's really important not to be tone deaf to what's going on around us. And I think a lot of companies are doing a really good job in talking about what they're doing as it relates to coronavirus. Like where, what are 
contributing? What are the, how are they evolving and adjusting their business to be supportive of their employees making things that healthcare providers desperately need? Like most companies in their communications are tying what their brand is to what they're doing um, directly in relationship to the coronavirus crisis. So that's the bulk of the communications. They're Say that all, one more time. They're connecting what? They're con the majority of the communications from businesses are connecting what they're doing that is immediately relevant to the coronavirus. Okay. So right. they're not talking about, oh, we're launching this new thing. Those things are like off the table unless they're launching something new that's going to help the coronavirus. <laughs> okay. It's just um, other ways you can really appear to be quite tone deaf and it's not going to, it's kind of like wasted energy. Yeah. Or, or it could even be counterproductive. Scott, yeah. have you, have you changed your uh, marketing and advertising right now, Scott? You know, we uh, we have always been just kind of relationship driven. We don't we don't advertise products and that kind of stuff. It's really a more about, uh, hey, let's build a relationship and figure out what's right for you. So so it's kind of worked out pretty well for our stuff. We have, uh, you know, shifted our marketing budget, though, because, you know, there's events that were going to happen that got canceled. We've got promotions. Selling is dead. So if anybody's out there, I almost want to respond to people who send me an email and say, Hey, what, I've got a sales software. Do you want to <laughs> get on a phone call? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm helping thousands of customers eat. You know, I don't have time to do that. Um, so, but what we've done is we've taken our, uh, our marketing approach though, and turned it into, uh, it, it, it kind of helps our brand anyway, but to how can we help the community? These are resources for you. You know, we've, we've taken uh, those marketing dollars and put them into to places that, that need the help, you know, that are not large internet, you know, national corporations. Yeah. Um, and try to just try to keep our message straight that uh, that we're here for you. Let us know whether you're a customer or not. Let us know how we can be a resource to you. And uh, we're all in this together. That's kind of been our marketing message. Okay. Um, uh, what about uh, an executive right now who is feeling torn pulled in 22 directions um what what advice do any of you have uh, and and i know margaret you have uh, a ceo to whom you report in your organization uh holly you're the cfo of uh stampede consulting right um but, so uh, if you've got somebody else in the organization that's supposed to be the formal leader and you know that they're being uh, challenge to be focused. What, what, if anything, should you be doing to support people above you in the organization uh, to be able to think more clearly and, and, uh, and, and not, not get into this whipsaw mentality of trying to do everything and getting nothing accomplished? Um, Go ahead. You <laughs> okay. I, I'm just going to say, you know, it's reminding myself every single day that I should have that conversation and pick up the phone and talk with our president, just um, recognizing when he does have stressful situations, when we're in those moments, um, being able to push back um, on if that's not the right decision, if we're waiting for too much information, if we need to communicate just really keeping those um, balance points. Um, I work for someone who's very data-driven, and right now we have to make decisions sometimes without a lot of information and data, and that can be extremely stressful. Um, 
So it's just pausing and sometimes picking up that phone and it's the late night conversation. Um, and quite honestly, the other night I, I picked up to call him, I think on Sunday night, and he was playing the guitar and I was quite happy. He was trying to find something else to do because I don't know that he's, you know, had a moment of peace for the last month. So Yeah, yeah. Holly, you had something to, to add? Yeah, it was just, I mean, it's... It's hard. My husband and I own our company together and we have about 300 employees. And I, I, I feel their stress every day. And it's, it's, we're, we are taking on their fear and their insecurities about the future. And it's, I mean, it's weighing on us and it's um, because we, you know, we care about our people. So the other thing I would say is, you know, during, and Scott mentioned this a little while ago, but this is a good time for people who have lost some revenue, maybe some of their customers. I mean, the customers that are sticking with you, this is a this is a good time to express gratitude to them and, and appreciate them uh, because they may they may be your sole source of, of revenue moving forward, just depending on what kind of a business you have. They may be your lifeline for the next few months. So for not forgetting about them and, and expressing gratitude to them and to, and to your staff as well and just reassuring them. I mean, we don't, we get into these uh, businesses as entrepreneurs and it's, you know, it's the, what do they say? It's the, who, who else would work twice as long as a regular uh, W2 employee for half the, half, half the money, half the pay. And it's, yeah. it is stressful, but this is what we've signed up to do. And, and we have a responsibility to our people to be strong, manage our own stress so that we can help them manage theirs. Do you think right now, and this is this is any of the panelists, uh, I'd love to hear your response here. Do you think right now that uh, business owners, presidents, uh, CEOs are more inclined to act too quickly or to not act quickly enough? You think they're, they're the two likely well, to go ahead? Scott. We're, well, we're seeing uh, we're seeing both. We, we see paralysis. Um, and, and that's starting to weigh a little bit because, you know, the longer this lasts, people understand they have to do something. Um, and then we see some folks that are, that are, uh, on, on, you know, jumping over, uh, the moon just immediately. So, um, so we're seeing a little bit of both of that, you know, both of those kind of uh, reactions. Uh, by and large though, I think, uh, you have folks that are, the more seasoned they are in, in managing their business, the more patient they are and the more calculating they are. So I'm finding that the the business owners that have been around for a while, if they're around, you know, back in 2001 for that crisis, or or the one in 2008 to 2010. I mean, we got a lot of battle scars on us, right? And uh, so we understand that Rome wasn't built in a day, and and making certain decisions can be uh, uh, be you know more the problem than than more the solution. So we're seeing it on both sides, but it's directly related to the maturity and the uh, leadership skills of the of the team that's running the the company. Holly, Janet, Margaret, any thoughts about uh, business owners, executives being too quick or too slow? I mean, I, I we, we've been quick. We've, we took quick action, but part of that is just our personality. We're risk averse and uh, not super optimistic. So I think to some degree it will, it'll be a combination of past experience, but also just your general outlook on the world. And, um, we're, we're in self-preservation mode to, to a certain degree. And so we had to go to the immediate plan of what if we don't have another penny come in for the next six months, what does that look like? And we immediately went into that mode. Um, because in the end, that's what's best for 
all of our employees as well. If we can be strong uh, when this is when we're on the upswing, then that helps them versus us not taking this too seriously and, and spending all of our all of our cash reserves. And, so and, and, and you said you had three hundred employees. Did I hear that correctly? And are they all are they all the DC based or they're all no, over? They're all over the nation. Okay. All right, uh, Janet, what are you seeing with your clients? Too quick to pull the trigger or not quick enough? You know, I have to say it really does um, marry up with experience. So with some of these, um, especially the much smaller companies that I work with that are still private and very small, like early stage um, biotech companies, um, it's just, you know, the reality in which they're operating is just very different from a much bigger company or even, you know, a company like the size of Holly. So it does depend on level of experience and it also depends on who they have on their team supporting and surrounding them because sometimes they might not be quite ready to make the call, but somebody else who's an expert will say, this is what the local legal guide, like this is the government guidance. We have to do this X now. And this is what it has to look like because they've given us just recently the stay in place ordinance that came out from the local county in which many, many, many biotech and pharmaceutical companies said um, required within 48 hours, every company had to post like detailed notices all over their offices around how they were going to maintain the um, separation between employees who were required to be on site still. So those are things where it's, you know, maybe you don't really feel like it's needed or whatever, but it's like, that is the local ordinance. You actually need to do that to follow the the practices in place. So, I I mean, I think it's just, it's really evolving. And I think as people settle more into the reality that this is not going away, that their, you know, employees are going to be work from home and, um, now apparently doing second jobs as teachers of their children, like the new normal is just going to be very, very different and it's going to go on for a while. Margaret, anything you want to add? Uh, no. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. Then then I've got, I got one last question that I want to throw at people. Um, it, It is, this is a, this is probably a profound uh, event in business. So I think the, the question is, how fundamentally different do you think business will be going forward because of this? Um, and try to keep your answers here in, in, in less than a minute if you can. Uh, so is this a, are we going to go back to pretty much business as usual in, in you know, six months? Or are we going to see a lot more uh, different things happening in business as a result of what uh, everybody's, exp- I mean, like supply chain to China and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all those kinds of things and how much bif- different will business be now um, going forward. So who wants to go first? I'll go real quick. Thanks. We will, we will forever be changed. Our, our whole focus of growth for the last, I don't know, three, five years <laughs> um, has really defined what we're doing and who we are. And that is not going to be who we are when we come out of this at all. We will be shrinking, and we haven't had that at our airline for many years. Okay. And so it's going to be all about quality, not quantity kind of a thing. Yes. Um, okay. Holly, what are, your, what are your thoughts going forward? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, depending on what the business is, yes, they will be impacted forever. I think uh, manufacturers are going to look to start bringing back supplies and and manufacturing back to the United States. Um, I, you know, it, we don't ever want to be dependent on another country again, I think is the sentiment right now. Will that wear off after a couple of decades? Probably. But in the next 10 years, I think there's going to be a move for that. And, um, and then I think all of this, the social distancing stuff, I think it's going to change um, how businesses work. And that's, that's okay too. You know, it's yeah. okay for our grocery stores to be a little bit cleaner and, um, you know, and for us to just learn to be considerate of those around us and some of their um, needs that they have and, and sometimes put them before ourselves. I know we're dealing with that in our community. I'm, I'm, I am really, uh, just, I'm all for making permanent that the senior citizens get the shop first um, at, at Kroger's, get our own hour. I'm, I'm really behind that. Go ahead, Janet. Fundamental change in business. Oh, you know, I do think there will be some, but, um, when I look at a lot of the, my clients and other businesses that I've worked in the healthcare space, um, I, you know, I think that I have some level of hopefulness that, there really will um, be a breakthrough in either a vaccine and other treatments that come along between now and 12 to 18 months to help mitigate this. Um, and until that point, I think we're going to have significant waves and ups and downs. And I think there will be like deep lasting um, impression and scars on people and businesses from this. But I also have seen um, we as a community um, have some short-term memory loss, you know. So once, yeah. you know, once we're able to get more of the healthcare point of view under control, you know, some level of normalcy, get out of a crisis mode and into a more of a management mode with vaccines and treatments and fixing the healthcare system that's going to be really struggling and. Um, really broken down to some extent and then rebuilt back up from this. I think that I am hopeful that we'll find our way back to some peace of mind and some continuity. Um, okay. There will be those scars left as Scott's mentioned that many people have from before. Scott. Yeah, I, I would hope I'd echo all the comments that were just made there. Uh, you know, I think business itself is going to be, everybody was challenged to do something uh, not everybody, but most folks were were challenged from the normal office environment to changing their entire environment and how they go about doing business. And I find about half my clients are liking it. So um, if you're invested in commercial real estate, you know, look out because I think that office spaces and that kind of stuff, the the cohatch and the versa and the uh, shared office environments are are probably going to be even more in vogue. Um, uh, especially as the we have the younger generation jumping into the workforce here, where they're uh, where they're working at all hours of the day and night, and uh, uh, keeping kind of different schedules than than maybe a Gen Xer or or a baby boomer would have. So uh, so I see that happening. The other thing I think I see happening too is that you know in the last ten years, you know we we've had since the financial crisis, the financial crisis you know hurt a lot of folks, but this affects everyone. All right, everyone. And so there isn't anybody that's not affected by this. Uh, there's no company that's not affected by this. Uh, some are doing well, some are not. But they're, they're, it's going to go down as, uh, you know, obviously one of those big events. And I think folks are going to probably re, uh, you know, re, 
establish what their priorities are, um, a new maybe sense of, um, of the entitlements that we have here in the United States and, uh, and the way that we, we uh, depend on food being on the shelf in the, in the, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the supermarket, uh, maybe a new uh, respect for farmers that are doing their job. Uh, and the food supply chain. So the yeah. trucker right now is one of the most important people um, and the nurse, uh, those kind of things. Uh, and so the other thing I think is going to transform is education. You know, I think uh, we, we found the, the, uh, the answer to the cost of education. And that is we're eliminating the overhead of education and trying to expand teachers across the larger classroom uh, using digital technologies and taking advantage of students' ability to learn quicker. So, so I think that those are some of the things that are there. The financial services industry has been required to have a pandemic response since 2003. And so we already have plans that we've been enacting. Um, so a lot of companies, though, are not required to do that. They're not supervised or regulated by some federal authority. But uh, the world's definitely not going to be the same after this, Ed. And I'm hoping that there'll be some sort of, uh, uh, you know, normalcy after this though uh that we can get you know the country back together and and continue to be uh the greatest nation on the planet yeah i uh i i am wrestling with um what normal means and um we 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 probably will see a new normal pretty soon uh hopefully sooner than later but it probably won't be the normal that we've we've come from and um uh, more to follow. Uh, for our audience, thank you for joining us today. I want to thank our panelists again, Janet Gracer. I want to thank Margaret Soda, Scott McComb, Holly Turner. You've got the ways to connect with them if you want to do so. I want to thank Joel Kessel behind the scenes, Lindsay Knox, Lori uh, Zinn, and um, Thad Devassi, and Sean Hedinger because they helped us produce and put this together. I'm guessing we probably won't have another one of these next week unless there's an outpouring for everybody to say, hey, we want to we want to do this again. I'm guessing it, we'll pro probably try to do another one in uh, three to four weeks and uh, uh, and see where people are and and see what what we know then versus we know now. But if there's a, a hue and cry that everybody says we want to we need another one next week, we will certainly respond to your request to do so. But on behalf of everybody, we want to thank you for uh, your questions, your, for, for your participation. Panelists, thanks for your expertise and your thoughtful responses to all of these uh, uh, scenarios that we've been, we've been talking about. And with that, I'm going to wish everybody uh, good luck, be safe, be well. Um, I hope you get to be outside and be with uh, loved ones and, and everyone in your circle of uh, friends and family are well. With that, we're gone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. -E Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.